trying to make drums. Da, a da, da, da. Yeah. You have to introduce us while wow. I do the music in the background. Boo, 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 boo. I'm fading out. Hello, boo, and welcome boo, to boo, Girls boo. Gone Canon, featuring the musical stylings of Eliana covering Anton Languages, <laughs> A Cup of Coffee. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana, as well as, you know, tonight's musical guest, SNL's musical oh guest. God. Give it up for Eliana. Hey, you do have a great one name for that. Like, you and That's I both true. do, really. We could be celebrity superstars, yeah. one name, just like Jocelyn. We could be the idol. Or it's just you and me, right? Chloe and Eliana, like Simon and Garfunkel. But I think those were their last names, so not quite Damn. like that. Thwarted again. Hey, welcome back. This is a very special summer break mini-sode. Yes, we are giving you... A little view into our crazy brains now that Eliana has returned from her travels and we're back in biz on A Song of Ice and Fire. We are uh, we're taking this week off. We've got lots going on and lots cooking for you for the next weeks for A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, so I'm sure you've all heard we are kicking off July with, you know, not quite red, white, and blue, mostly just red and terrible and red. We're kicking it off with Melisandre's single pov one day i'm sure we'll have more but you know yeah the winds of winter mel is actually probably going to be wonderful and red right like it's going to be very uh magical i've probably. really enjoyed doing the magic over these last chapters oh, with yeah. Aaron and with victorian so and bran bran i mean we really did not to toot our own horn but we did kind of plan that a little and i will tell you what comes after melisandre we did plan but also we based it on a very silly thing, too, which I really appreciate. I can't wait to share that for when we finish Melisandre. No spoilers, but it, there is a very funny thing involved, in my opinion. I remember it very clearly when we decided on the POVs and why we chose most of them. And <laughs> this uh, this past run, though, of Bran, Victorian, Aaron, Mel was very much so planned to kind of bring the magic to the forefront. Because we do have a lot of magic throughout the last seven POVs. Oh, my God. We're counting the epilogues as one POV here. Yeah, magic, but also I think, again, like, I just think that there's, we'll talk about it more in the Melisandre episode, like, there's such a great through line between Aaron's test of faith and obviously what Melisandre is being poised to go through. And even that through line of slavery, right, True. with everything in Victorian's chapters and how it all circles back when we get to Melisandre, I thought that was kind of strong in this reread. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm excited to, to dig into that. And if you want a little bit of, you know, you, you can't wait, you want a little bit of a taste of us talking about Melisandre, we did many years ago guest on Ideas of Ice and Fire with Quinn, which is now Quinn's Ideas, to talk about Melisandre. Oh, yeah. That was so long ago. I missed that. And it was a really fun. It was 2019. I think it was like right after the show ended. Oh, yeah. If I if I reuse some of my same jokes, everyone. Maybe don't listen please, to it. Yeah. Wait till after the episode. Give me some yeah. grace. You know, I'm i I'm gonna talk about the period stuff again because I'm still I'm still baffled about that. But um it's it's unremarkable. Yeah, and there's tons of other great Melisandre work in the fandom. We'll definitely recommend and link you to listen to our good buddies over at Nauticast who had our friend Rowan on to talk about Melisandre. Uh, there's been some great work throughout the entire fandom on Melisandre, and we're just excited to get to contribute to it finally ourselves. Absolutely. Together. Absolutely. Together. For five years we've been doing this, you know, Eliana. Over five years, really. Can you believe it? It's been more than five years. You can see my face scrunching up as I think about, and I count the years, I'm like, it has been, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Over half a decade that we've been- Our wood anniversary. Our wood anniversary. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what wood? What, uh, what? What's the wood? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A woodchuck would chuck all the wood it could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Well, Melisandre in July- more after that. I really liked your little red, white, and blue, but red and terrible and red. That was pretty clever. Kind of cute. Kind of clever. I like Spur your style. Of the moment. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so uh, smart. I was so clever. I've seen it. <laughs> so clever. So clever. Something else that we are coming on back to now that we have Eliana back in the pocket is Sailor Moon, right? We've got a lot to catch up on on Sailor Moon. 
We uh we got a what a movie to get watching. Yeah, we do, we do, which I think has not yet released for for US audiences, right? But it has mm-hmm. finally released in Japan Sailor Moon Cosmos, which is the final season of Sailor Moon. I have heard rumors. I don't know that it's like actually true or if it's just Naoko Takeuchi just you know being like, Yeah, I've thought about this thing, right? Saying that she's had an idea for a new Sailor or Sailor Senshi, but that could just be like a thing where you know pe- people oh. just think about things, right? Not she's not that she's necessarily gonna make anything off of it. That woman doesn't need to work anymore. I hear her husband made the same yeah. decision, even though his story's not finished. But Hunter Hunter, yeah, they they're like a manga power couple. If you all are unaware, Naoko Takeuchi, creator of Sailor Moon, is married to the creator of Hunter. Hunter, which many of you might know is Hunter x Hunter, but I've heard that the X is in fact silent. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to find the actual release date for USA. I think it's end it of this looks month. Like end of this month. I think they're releasing 30th. Yeah, so good for them. that's why it was gonna be perfect until you know I ruined yeah. it. <laughs> well, we're not too far behind. We're having one of our really good friends on to talk about season two, Chica from Shoju Sunday. I I really like. Chica. Me too. Yeah, I really, she, she just got a great attitude and uh, she's a little sassy like us, which I love. And I think that she has a great view. I mean, she's just so like, I like anime. You love anime. You're a fucking weeaboo. And <laughs> <laughs> weeaboo. Oh, wait, you have to see fuck. this new shirt that I bought at this convention. I'll talk about it, but please continue. Yeah, so you're a weeaboo. And I like anime, but I, I'm not quite as into the fandom as you are, and I don't feel like I'm I'm going to sit there while Chica just blows my mind, I'm pretty sure, on stuff when she records with us, and I can't wait, because I just think she has a great viewpoint and a lot of great knowledge to share. Yeah, so I think, okay, I, I'm actually like a little behind on a lot of anime lately, and I'm more of like, I would read a lot of manga just because, with anime, because I prefer subs over dubs. It requires your entire attention, and I'm not great at giving my Ooh. full attention to things. And one of my one of my coworkers who was even more into anime said, "You're just not skilled enough <laughs> because I was like, because you have to watch and give your full attention if you're going to read subs, right? Because I can't just have mm-hmm. it on in the background because I can't listen. I don't know what they're saying, yeah. but." Anyways, my coworker was like, "No, you just have to learn how to multitask and read both at the same." I'm like, "I cannot do that." But also, my work ha- requires a little more like writing and words, I guess. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I like subs, but I'm the same issue. So I just stick to dubs so that I can have my brain go to everywhere. And dubs are better nowadays than they were when we were growing up. Yes. When we were kids, it's, I mean, and nothing against the people that were hired to do the voice acting for that. But even just the translations are so lost, right? So that's something while watching Sailor Moon I've kind of noticed is that you could see the differences in language. Like, you just don't have the same colloquialisms, you know, the same yeah, yeah. different turns of phrase. And so there are just certain things that are off between what they're saying out loud and what's actually written in the captions on the screen. Yeah. Uh, which I believe the captions are derived from the real, from the subs, right? They're actually derived from those episodes is kind of what I think compared to what they're saying out loud is my guess. Yeah. So it's interesting, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. When Chica comes on, Chica yeah. has chosen to come on for season two, which I think is interesting. It's a of. really fun season to come on to, though, because that's when the character base starts to kind of yeah, expand true. and the plot really starts teed up. And then I, I'm i hopeful we'll get a guest on for season three. We have one in the works. We'll reach out and see soon. But that is a favorite season for sure. Yeah. Season three is Season three is my so favorite badass. season. And I know Chica was deciding which one to come on for, right? Because... I know she was deciding she wanted to do three or two, but she just really loves two. So we'll talk more about what she loves about it when she comes on. And yeah, she covers, they cover a lot of other things on Shoujo Sunday. And I just haven't like caught up, I think, with some of the manga that they discuss or read some of it. But there are some of the, the, you know, much bigger names. Like, I also don't even remember what happened, for example, like Oran Host Club, Oran Haya Host Club anymore. I read that when I was in high school. And yeah, 
I know they talk about Revolutionary Girl Utena, oh, which I used to really yeah, love too. Yeah. I used to really love that in high school and Fruits Basket, which is pretty, you know, yeah. Like, who, who did, I amongst I us. read it, but I never got to the ending. And I'm I've actually been thinking about starting the new anime because they they ended up rebooting the anime. I think to be closer to the manga. Oh. Yeah, kind of like what they did with Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. Which I kind of, I mean, that's like, anime's really cool for that, right? The anime yeah. could just do that. They could just do reboots. And you don't have to bring I on really the same, it, it's fun because like, you know, you can still keep the same style, character design, right? As opposed to like, let's say, for example, you reboot Game of Thrones. You can't come back to the previous actors. Which, it, it's kind of like soap operas in that way, right? Mm. There's something cool about it, like soap opery, in fact, in, in the way that like, so I grew up watching Days of Our Lives with my mom. And so when I was at home from summer vacation or home on a sick day, I have this like very distinct memory of my mom making me chicken ramen and me being sick as hell on the couch wrapped in a blanket. And we watched Days of Our Lives when it came on at 1 p.m. ET or noon ET. I think it was 1 p.m. And, you know, like they would recast characters or they would reboot characters and plot lines that like maybe had been dead for a year or two. And all of a sudden, oh my God, Stefano's back and so-and-so's with him, except so-and-so's recast and they're calling it, you know, oh, she bumped her head and has amnesia or you yeah. know, all this stuff that's like, all right, cool, move on. I, I believe it now. Let's move on. Yeah. So they, I, I like that anime gets that like telenovela-esque treatment. They actually brought back on, I think, with the the voice actor for Sailor Mars, and I'm not going to spoil for which character or something, but in, in Sailor Moon Cosmos. So. Like from the original mm-hmm. anime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people are wondering I really appreciate that, that. With the US. With I the like US the, the homage, yeah. you know, that they at least respect the original parts and come back and give those actors some space to come back if they want. That's great. It's respectful. It's respectful. Also, it shows, you know, if you're a creative director or creator, like you're working on a project, you want to bring those same people back. It's it's good. Yeah, Eliana, you've managed to avoid it so far. Avoid finishing it. That is. Oh my gosh. And once we finish Sailor Moon, finally in the fall, we have a wide open space for a new podcast to start <sighs> about a book that one of us has read and one of us has suffered through part of. Eliana, would you like to tell the class what we're going to be doing this fall? Yeah, I guess we're doing the Secret Commonwealth this fall. We discussed if we were going to do it, and I guess I guess we are probably after we finish Sailor Moon, because we can only hold so much in our brains at a time. <laughs> That's what I have to say about that. Um, well, okay, so so we'll see. Uh, you know, I know that the book is difficult, and I am holding out hope that. Philip Pullman as an author, he's shown a lot of, I think, propensity for, for growth in general. And my friend, our friend Tana, whom I saw last night, because uh, she was paneling at a convention I happened to be close by to, and yeah, she was like, oh, so you're going to give him grace? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess, he, he, has, he has shown that he can grow. So I'm like, maybe. And we won't spoil the things that we don't like about The Secret Commonwealth, because I will say, so for those of you that have not read Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials series, the main trilogy or the sandwich trilogy, the outer trilogy, as we called it, uh, which is an incomplete trilogy. Hopefully it will be complete. And I will say, I am waiting for that final book till I really pass judgment. I think I've softened on my previous opinion. There's some, I don't know, not really shocking, but definitely a little controversial moments in The Secret Commonwealth, which is kind of a sequel book to the main trilogy, the His Dark Materials trilogy, following our main protagonist, Lyra Balakwa, Lyra Silvertongue, if you will, as she, you know, goes to college, grows the fuck up, deals with being the savior of all of everything ever, and what heavy damage that does to you and the sacrifices that she made in doing that. And while some of that exploration is really yeah. deep and it's introspective and it's painful, I mean, I don't know many books that you're crying within 20 pages, but there's a handful. There's another one we'll talk yeah. about today, actually, <laughs> on that list. <laughs> but I definitely cry- cried reading The Secret Commonwealth. I'm like, what? This is horrible. Why is he doing this to my heart? Uh, but that stuff's not the controversial stuff, right? The stuff yeah. that comes later, there's some changes in how some characters are handled. And I will say, again... There's another book to come, so I don't think that I'm going to take that at face value yet because it's all part of a plan. Yeah, it's all I'm, part I'm of hoping, plan. or that the plan is now better than whatever it was. And it, it, if it makes me feel uncomfortable, whatever. Like I, I also think like it's not my story is the other thing, right? Yeah. Like I'm not writing it, and I get that. And 
maybe I won't like it, but I do have to remind myself because I think we all get a little, I don't know, like territorial over media of how we think things should be. And that doesn't mean that's how it is because it's not ours and we didn't. Right. I will say, I, yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, like people have whatever, I guess, statement, artistic statement and vision they want to have. For me, it was that he wasn't le- willing to lean into that it being uncomfortable. Right. And I think it would have yeah. been stronger if he had just been like, yeah, this is this is weird and uncomfortable as opposed to trying to to have it be approved. Right. As opposed to sanctioning it. Right. I I wish that instead of trying to do that, it was leaned into like, this is this is uncomfortable. So, yeah. Yeah, all will be revealed, hopefully, with that final book of dust that he puts out. And it's hard because I really enjoyed the first book of dust that we have covered in full, La Belle Sauvage. I really enjoy La Belle Sauvage. I think that hits so many great emotional beats, and it's such like a spectacular story and a little mini hero's journey. And I think maybe that was more of the gut punch of reading that and then going in the future 20 years, and that's what he chose. So Yeah. And I think, you know, for example, another show that we have just finished watching because it's done succession succession does a good job of like obviously these people are not good and moral right and we're not Mm -hmm. we don't need them to be doing a good thing or a moral thing we are here to tell a story Mm -hmm. and that's fine yeah how do you how do you we we didn't really get to talk you know uh emmett my roommate from not a cast podcast asyf uh has been covering that end of succession with me i really appreciate that he took the time out of his very busy schedule living in the same home as me to come on to our podcast uh and and just talk about succession while you were out and now that you're back how do you feel about that season four succession finale and if you haven't watched it uh i don't know scooch ahead on the podcast for a couple minutes but eliana i want to hear your feelings i want to (laughs) know what you kind of thought about that ending I thought it was a great ending. Um, I kind of wish that we didn't, you know, jump all over, like, the world, right? Like, we didn't have to globetrot, I guess. But maybe they were like, you know, let's go out with a bang, bring everyone on a vacation somewhere nice for the finale. But I thought it was... And I wish there were a little more Connor. But ultimately, yes. the show the, the show isn't, I guess, about Connor, right? The show is about the three siblings. It's about you know, King Lear's daughters. And despite Kendall insisting on he is the eldest boy, which again is not even true, but I thought it was great. I do think that episode nine, right, the the penultimate episode is was the strongest episode and is the one that you gotta go, well, actually, I don't know, maybe the one where Logan... We're gonna spoil succession, everyone. The one where Logan dies, maybe that was also <laughs> just as strong, but um I think episode nine is the one that you go and you submit to all the awards committees. Yeah, I mean episode nine, um I, that was such a great episode because that's like it's Tywin's funeral, right? Like it, it's the all of the last few days of the scrambling and the how do we carry his legacy on and the president and this and that, it really led to that and it was very raw where Logan was a shithead, right? Like, he was a Tywin Lannister figure. He was an absolute asshole, but yet it humanized him because it turns out assholes are humans, right? Like, it turns out that bad people are based on humans that do bad things, usually, right? The human part is, like, really strong there. Like, humans, humans, they're still real people that exist and and have flaws and have all these other things. And, like, his brother's speech, Ewan's speech about him was, you know, it, it was really sad and beautiful and like kind of quaint in a way when you think about who Logan Roy was as a person as this big billionaire media conglomerate that he was also a scared little boy in a boat taking care of his family right that he was also like a man that had a heart but chose not to embrace that heart and I thought that episode that penultimate funeral episode and all the feelings that the kids had, that was really great. I, I really liked that a lot. Yeah. That was a good episode. And I mean, like, I, I know you asked my feelings on the finale, but I think there, I mean, throughout the show in general, there's just such really great cinematography, but I thought that some of the ways that they, that they use that visual language in episode nine in the penultimate episode was so great when it came to some of the speeches, right? Like, you, Ewan ends up having a command of the stage as the Duke Kendall, and then later on in her speech shiv because suddenly you see the the camera once they start going and they're getting to the part that you're supposed to feel things the camera goes towards like the right of them and then shifts down so you are looking up at them and then 
from there they have a position of again command of the stage whereas when you know everything's falling apart for for Kieran Culkin's Roman. Roman. I was like Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin. (laughs) Everything's falling apart for Roman, right? You never have the camera do that. The camera is level with him, and it is constantly shaky. And and granted, the camera is shaky for the characters a lot, but then you know the cinematography really tells you how to feel about the characters in those times. So I just I thought that was such a strong episode. But again, finale was fun. And to my knowledge, I believe Kieran Culkin said too that they didn't know Ewan's speech beforehand. That was their first time hearing <laughs> it. So that can you imagine? Like his reaction was actually at least Kieran's reaction was completely raw. He was reacting in the moment, and that's what they used. That's cool. Yeah, that, that that's is kind really of fun. Cool. It's kind of like I, I think for uh, better or for worse, right? It reminds me of how they approached Blade Runner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. I think some moments they both the actors, not both of the actors, knew exactly what was going to happen and what the director had told them to do in regards to actions. Hmm. And it's kind of one of those shows that I'll reiterate. I think we said this in our finale episode, but like we won't see a show like this, you know, for a long time. Probably. Who knows if we'll ever see a show this great with what's happening with TV and what's changing with media. You know, it's a show that they allowed you to, they encouraged, not allowed, they encouraged you to do your own take of the character at the end of a scene. They would have one where they just go and do it raw, you know, like use what you want from the script, do what you think the character will do. And that often made it in and where the directors, you know, accepted the feedback from the actors that said, hey, I don't think my actor who has one line in this entire season would actually do this in the background. They would be doing this and they would say, well, you go do that then. Go do it. Yeah. You know, that's that's really awesome. Uh, it seems even just from what we see from all the behind the scenes clips and from some of the publicity and press and interviews, it's just, you know, that's the last of its kind. Yeah. That was a special show. Very special. I will say after watching like the finale or something of Succession, my partner was like, you know what I miss watching? Veep. <laughs> and so we yeah. started another yep. Veep rewatch off of that. I am on the end of season one of my Veep rewatch too, uh... partner. So <laughs> it did make me like, I'm like, I want to be held by something comfortable in 30 minutes. Veep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Veep is another good one where they're like, obviously you're not supposed to think that they're, that they're good. Do we just watch a lot of HBO shows? Yes. I mean, they're some of the best shows like uh, not to be biased here but hbo does have better sitcoms and better drama than than most other sorry i have a special guest that's oh hello we have a special guest what the fuck was that did you just see that oh my god (laughs) anyways special special celebrity guest cat alison is here too yeah they uh they just have better prestige tv and I, I must say, everything going on with Max and Warner Brothers with Discovery, it's a bummer because HBO, like, no matter what, is a place I know I can go find something good to watch. And I know that'll change with all of the the Hollywood craziness, you know? Yeah. Going on. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That writer's strike is still going strong. Uh, for those of you at home, it's actually starting to affect a lot of things, which is good. I'm yeah, like, good. that's that's the point. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, and this is this is just how I personally feel. Drag me through the mud for it. House of the Dragon shouldn't be filming. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And HBO was pushing it obviously to keep filming and to keep it moving since it's one of their best shows and most watched. I mean, hell, we've seen the numbers. Obviously, Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon have done numbers, but yeah. it's really rough because you know there's no wiggle room because George does support WGA strike. Obviously, he very much supports it. He's been picketing in his own town for it and going places and speaking about it. He's full support, posting about it all the time. But why is House of the Dragon filming? Yeah, I agree. I think they're they're what they're saying is that like you know it was all written before the strike and that they had written in regards to that, but we also know that that's not how it that's works. not how it works, right? Yeah, as you said, like as and as people have discussed, the there's writing that happens on set and during filming, right? As you were mm-hmm. talking about, like the 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 ways that things change, 
during the filming of Succession that happens on every show, maybe not to the same like length of artistic power that mm-hmm. that every person had on Succession, but still, writing happens, and that is crossing the picket line. You need rewrites on set. You need people to listen and say, oh, that sounds horrible out loud. Let me come chat with you on that. You need actors to feel comfortable enough that they can turn and say, why is my character saying it like this? Wouldn't they say this and get it approved? And you really can't get it approved. And you have that kind of awkwardness of the EPs are on set, right? So Sarah has executive producer. Like all these people that are executive producers are on set. So you know they're probably smudging those lines, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm sure those lines are getting blurry on set in order to get things done because it is still a production, right? Like I work in food production and no, it's not glamorous like acting. It doesn't have, you know, music and production and set and wardrobe, but it's still, you have processes to get the actual work done and get the technical work done and get the things in place that you need for the people that are on the line to put the food in the boxes, right? Like, there are things behind the scenes and on the scenes that have to still happen. And it's a it's a disappointment to me. It really is. I want House of the Dragon Season 2 like everybody else because media is fun right now. And, you know, brain worms. Like, I don't like to think about real life. It's fantasy for me, too. It's escapism. But I also really think all of the people that make everything that we get our brain worms off to, like every week shows that we watch, like those people working on those sets and that write for these shows and that get like cornered out of writer's rooms and squished out and they actually do their work for free sometimes because they know the show needs it in order to become complete. Like those people deserve a living wage. Yeah. Those people absolutely deserve a living wage. House of the Dragon has made so much fucking money. And maybe even more than they really expected. They didn't know if this was going to hit. That's no one true. really did. Did we think? We didn't know. Yeah, we, like The yeah. people that write for these shows deserve to see that money, too. It's bullshit. And it's not just the money, right? As, as George pointed out, it's about the sustainability of the industry. Because the model that, for example, especially as streaming becomes popularized, and that it's no mm-hmm. longer, you know, these long-form shows and people... I mean, the way that we all collaborate and work has changed with technology and... Yeah, young writers don't get to all to stay on the sets and learn how the shows work. And that, I mean, that stifles your ability to be able to build a lasting career out of it as well. Like, yep. the whole industry will suffer when people don't know how to fucking work on shows. Well, and then you have, like, AI, right, coming in, and people are using it for jobs like storyboarding or for some of these middle jobs where they can create things with AI that cuts out whole jobs. And it's not unlike the war on the middle class in America, right? Like, it's literally, it's killing the middle class of writing jobs, too, which leaves less jobs for people that want to break into the industry to break into because otherwise they found ways that they can cut and pinch their pennies and not pay people full salaries and full living wages. So it's like, it's creating that divide of like, you won't have real jobs to apply to. Like, why would anyone go to school to be a writer? We already know, like, there's no... You're, if you're a creative in this country, you love art and you love what you do, right? Like, because there's not often a steadily available pipeline of getting a job in your art, in your trade. And it's... it's Not without passion. It's also like that, you know, I think people have been discussing why are movies... The movies that come out every year, you get, like, what, a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie or something every year, right? And a lot of them are kind of just from mm-hmm. these big companies and have, for the most part, very similar feels, and then it feels to an extent like we are getting less creative movies. And I remember... Fewer and fewer. Yeah, I remember... what Who is it? One of the one of the big-name actors who also is does production, who is also a producer on some things, was talking about, like, the problem is studios aren't willing to put the money behind those risks anymore, right? So you don't get, I think, some of those big creative risks or or just a variety of different kinds of stories anymore because they're like not sure if it'll sell at the box office because I mean because of streaming you know a lot of us we just we just Mm -hmm. go to the box office less right and yeah and I think that if we rely solely on AI to give us these kinds of stories we're gonna we're gonna see a stifling of of new kinds of stories I mean, 
we're just going to turn into a nation that is like sitting on the couch with our big 3D goggles on and we're just chained to our fucking couch for the rest of our lives. Like, (laughs) you know, it's kind of becoming that way with the COVID or the air quality or the, you know, depending on what's going on for anyone in this country at any point. It's a little crazy. It's, um, I don't know. I just, uh, I worry that, you know, we lived through the last writer's strike, right? Many shows suffered through that. Yeah. I think people are so reliant on media now and what the new show of the week is or streaming the new thing and catching up on it. I mean, we all are. I I am also prey to that personally, but that's not going to be a thing in a year when there's no shows because we didn't pay writers. And now the shows we do have are what going to be half AI generated bullshit. They're going to be half AI and also half all reality shows because you don't have scripting. Right. I mean, you have yep. some writing. Obviously, well, some of it is scripted, but you don't have writing in that way. Though they give prompts for kind of situations to the people on the shows, and then sometimes they even ask them to refilm the same interaction multiple times for a lot of these reality mm-hmm. shows. So, but you're gonna have a huge influx of that, which says a lot because that also reality TV is kind of looked at as being able to get around that shit. Too. Yeah, that's why. Discovery, I mean, that's why it exists. It's cheap. That's why Discovery Max. I think that's a large part. You know, they were saying. When Discovery and HBO merged, uh, Discovery was pushing the idea that, you know, this is what audiences want. And like, yeah, I mean, sure, there's an audience for it. I'm an audience of reality TV. But at the same time, it's not that they were saying like, this is going to be exactly what what we should be doing because it's like the future of genre pushing stuff. They're doing it because they're trying to cut the costs. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. It's kind of interesting the time we're living in. I really look forward to next year to just see the madness. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's going to be so many delays. Yeah. So many delays. Absolutely. I'm grateful for the stuff we have now, though, to watch. You are our reality TV connoisseur right now. Uh, I'm not quite on that level, but you are my person when I think reality TV. Yeah. So tell us, Eliana, what's on right now? Well, tell us the drama. What is it? What else is on? I I just know that Love Island season ten is back, and I th- it seems like they're doing multiple more seasons. I guess each year, right? Like they had season nine earlier this year, and that one was filmed in a house, I guess, in South Africa. And this one, they're back in the house in Spain, and the vibes were just bad in season nine. Like the vibes were just bad. They've made a lot of changes this this season in how they do the show that I think are good, right? Like they, you know, everyone's still like very hot, of course. Like that's the show. It's a <laughs> fantasy, <laughs> you know, just like when and the Ted Lasso yeah. series finale, I kept yelling, this is a fantasy show. Like that was the most fantasy show of any show I've ever seen. And I watch a lot of fantasy, but that's what I like about Ted Lasso, you know, it's a fantasy show. But anyways, everyone's still very hot, but, <laughs> they're not they're not like all you know size two, right? Like or the well, the men are not like what's the steroid cut. For 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 us at home that do not watch Love Island, can you just give us a quick mini premise just so we understand and we're on the same page? The hot people have to choose one another and who will the hot people pick amongst each other to perhaps theoretically fall in love with. And they've also brought in people who are older. I think this is the first time I've seen a woman who was 30 years old on the show, which, um... Well, we are pretty old, you're right. Well, I just think, you know, if you want a show where people actually are looking for love or whatever, it's a little harder at earlier age ranges, right? You're you're not... A lot of people aren't ready to settle down at 19, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, it's... That's a, that's a really good point. It's kind of stupid, because 19-year-olds... Having been one, we just want to fuck the world. We just want to go to the world and just stick ourselves in it. Yeah, And I think they saw that, you know, when you bring in women who are older, more mature, and know a little bit more about, like, dating, like in season eight, with (laughs) Ekansu, who was the winner and was, like, an absolute blast to have. She brought a lot of, like, I think, personality and, like, and, and great TV. It was great TV. That's it. Uh, uh, so yeah, I I, uh, yeah. I haven't watched a lot of that reality lately. So good to know. Yeah, good to know. I, I'm. What have you been watching say, in terms of drama? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> well, I've been watching and reading a lot. Okay, I just started the Grishaverse in books. Uh, within seven days, mm-hmm. I have read four of the books. I have a problem. I my brain is broken. I'm just like reading them all. 
Uh, I really liked the books a lot. I started the show. I have very mixed feelings on the show. I recommend you all listen to our episodes going forward because I'm sure they'll come out at points. I'm sure I'll complain about them randomly in passing to Eliana, but I won't bog us down here. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime. We'll do a Grishaverse chat or something, but um, that show is maybe not quite Maybe not quite as good as the books, but I like the books. I really actually like the books a lot more than I expected. I think there could have been like some potential. Which so did you? So you've read all three of the original trilogy, is what I'm assuming. Yes, is what you mean yes, by four. And, and then you've read Six of Crows. Yep, I've read Six of Crows. I'm on Crooked Kingdom. Um, I'm actually about a quarter into Crooked Kingdom right now, so that'll be five books in seven days if I have my way with it today, and as soon as we get done. But then I'll be on to those final two books that are the kind of sequel books, it sounds like, from what I've heard, for King of Scars and such. And something they've done in the show, which is actually, you know, we've watched Ring of Power, we've watched uh, The Hot <sighs> D. We've done the hot D. So, like, we've seen a lot of these changes where they condense timelines, and kind of what I'm getting from the show is they're doing... The subplot is Six of Crows, except it's not even a subplot. It's just the other plot is Six of Crows, and it's very prominent and present, and I actually think they do a great job of Six of Crows and making filler stuff up for them. Like, I think the Six of Crows plots are fun. They make sense. I'm like, okay, let's watch. But the Shadow and Bone plots completely suffer because of it, and they completely are nonsensible, and they're ruining things from the series already that I'm like, that has a buildup to that reveal. Like, the point of that reveal, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? So, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to keep going with the show. I hear, unfortunately, from one of our good buddies, Zainab, who's a patron, told me she's going to pray for me about season two because I'm probably going to have a conniption fit, is what she kind of has said. But um, I was so confused I don't know. in season I like the two because um, I, I will just put it out there. Season two condenses the last two books of the yeah, original that's trilogy. What I'm so I was like, I was, like, I was so confused. I was like, wait, I'm, st- I'm, wasn't this in book three? And I was like, am I, am I imagining things? And then someone told me that was their intent. I was like, oh my god, uh, no wonder. And it was because I think they were yeah. afraid they were not going to get a season three. And it seems like they might, but I was like, ironically, this, in my opinion, would have killed any other chances of getting it. But. Anyways, coming back to writer's strike with that, though, like, I get that. And your goal is that you want to keep everyone employed, everybody contracted that you've already started a career for with this show. So I get why they did it. But I I just was surprised they sacrificed the sanctity of the very easy plot. Because like Shadow and Bone isn't complex complex it's beautiful and i like what it is but i feel like like six of crows is a heist which is so badass where shadow and bone is more classic right you you have a lot of tropes in the hero's journey to get through that you can kind of see some of these things happen you're like ah she's gonna do this oh now her thing is this and and the villain and the this there's some stuff that is a little more subverted and i love that but it's not like it's a easy like i could have done a one one adaptation of it and won 80 awards is what i'm saying i think so also i don't know they did have to in my opinion they had to like make some changes which i would have been really interested in seeing how they made some of those changes and they are doing that especially with some of the main characters plots because i do think you know i was a little in in terms of the themes of the original trilogy I did feel a little mm-hmm. confused about the messaging. So I think that that would have been interesting to see how they explored that, especially as the author has matured as well. And she, again, I always talk about how like Bardugo like has a great job of constantly evolving like her style and her writing. And mm-hmm. the Shadow and Bone series started very much like deep in the trenches of, you know, peak YA time, right? Like when those tropes mm-hmm. were very much, they they were tropes, right? But they were becoming solidified during that time. It is only now that we can look back on it and be like, oh, this is tropey. This is tropey. Right? But well, yes and no. I think it's actually I, I argue, again, we just have to do this as an episode maybe because I argue that it's very classic. It's got classic literature tropes in it. Sure. And I think that she subverts them very well in certain ways. And I don't really think... I see what you mean about, like, YA of the time was very trendy and was using those tropes. I'm not like other girls, right? Especially at the beginning of the first book. And then they don't do that in the show, which I think was good. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we've we've learned, and I think the author has also learned more since then. Um, But Mm -hmm. we... We didn't know. Like, that was what we had been indoctrinated in. And I think people forget how much, you know, like, there's been a lot of change in the way that we talk about 
how we talk about like in the way that we talk about women characters and women in general and what what sort of narratives that we 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 ingest uh since yeah. that time i don't know maybe it's just because i'm coming fresh off it but i don't know how much i agree with that with the not like other girls crap because you know what i think it is in the show a lot more personally i i disagree in the show annoys the shit out of me that's funny I disagree, well, we'll talk about this yeah. in full another time for sure yeah. because uh but i i'm very invested in them now i'm very into the greek traverse i'm late to the table but i'm still at the party you guys i'm still here <laughs> yeah i'm like out here i'm like what kafta would you wear eliana Anyways, so things that are not dramas that we are excited about. I've only watched the first episode. I guess two dropped last this week. Yup. Righteous Gemstones, baby. Yes. Praise. We're back. Praise. Uh, I watched the first episode as well. I'm glad we didn't both watch one and two. You know, like, I, I'm glad that, that we both haven't finished yet. Yeah, yeah it, it was a really funny coincidence. My uh, husband was tired. He was like, I'm going the fuck to bed. Uh, we'll watch the other one tomorrow, but episode one, fucking hysterical. Uh, no notes. Judy slay. Oh my God. Judy slays every outfit. So excited. Can't believe for she's cheating, cheated on BJ, though. I oh, my gosh. oh my gosh. I I was surprised about that, but also I just thought the scene with her competing with Shay again for the so dust. Funny. So funny. So funny. So funny. I like that yeah. in the um, in the recap of what here's what's happened on Righteous Gemstones, they have the line of her being going like, baby, shake that cake, which is my favorite line from last season. <laughs> I say it all the time, my partner hates it, but I'm like, shake that cake. <sighs> I loved her crazy outfits in this episode yeah. the most. Judy Gemstone will always be famous, absolutely always. I, uh, I look forward to this season. I really look forward to the rest of the season, because it seems they're just going to be outrageous. I mean, we're going to get Steve yeah. Zahn. We're going to get some great actors this season, and some just silly performances. Uh, Keenan is on there. Yeah. So that's fun. I noticed, yeah. Um, Keenan Thompson. Also, I did like Amy Lee's... I want I want a watermelon outfit. <sighs> I loved that. I, I'm really glad to hear that you loved that. I loved that very much, her little watermelon dress. And yeah. it seems like, you know, we got to explore Papa Eli's sins last season, and it kind of seems like we're going to get some of Amy Lee's this yeah, season. Yeah, so. I'm excited about that. They've kind of made her seem like this perfect angel, so... Uh, I think they foreshadowed her being like. Oh, I mean, like in previous seasons. Secret boss. Yeah, though. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think so. last season and the season before, they definitely foreshadowed a lot of like Amy Lee was not as perfect as y'all want to think. That's and true. There's some like last season with the uh, with Schwartzman's character, right? With the interviewer guy, the the interviewer guy, the uh, <laughs> journalist. Oh right, <laughs> the right. Journalist. Like, yeah, he about? was chasing some of those sins. So. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. He had heard some stuff about Amy Lee, and that's what Eli silenced, and I think this season we're going to see those things come out. Yeah, and I also love Kristen Johnson. I love Kristen Johnson. Kristen Johnson. Kristen Johnson is here. She's a great foil for Judy's character. That, yeah, that I, I just love her. She's like, I want to see them bump heads, because, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure we know, obviously, if you've watched the episode, who that is, but, yeah, yeah. All right. Finally, one of the the last things I want to talk about that we've been reading, and I can't wait to watch it when it comes to Netflix, is The Moon Represents My Heart. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Pim. I've already finished it, and then I, like, immediately messaged. I was like, Pim, I'm rereading some... I, like, went back immediately to reread some scenes, and then I was, like, just, like, crying about it, and it was so good, and I've already bought... I'm about to buy a fourth copy of the book for <laughs> one of my best friends to read um, because I, okay, so I wanted the UK hardcover because I like the UK's cover better than the US one, which is also very nice, but it's just taste preferences. And so I had it sent to my friend's place um, and I was like, can you like get this package for me? I've also ordered a copy for you and your family. And his father is the one who's reading it. He's halfway through and is enjoying it very much. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. Pim is, uh, a, I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect, right? I was kind of excited. I didn't know what to expect from it. And it's not long. I'm still working on the end here. I'm hoping to finish it today or tomorrow. But it's basically a story about a Chinese-British family of time travelers, and they're seeking connections and seeking their past, and there's a little bit of sadness in the front of the story, and then a lot of sadness throughout it, but it's all bittersweet, and it really tugs at your heart, and uh, 
I just think Pim did such a wonderful job with this. We'll we'll link below where you can get it. Get it Waterstones or hopefully your nearest bookstore, local bookstore. Ask for it from them. You know, yeah. if you have a local one you like, please ask for it from them. That's why I haven't gotten the fourth copy yet for one of my best friends because I emailed the local bookstore. It's like, hey, do you have this? And they don't, but I'm going to have them order it for me and we'll purchase it from them. Yeah, it's very, it's bittersweet and it's got some nice hope in it, right? And it kind of talks about those familial connections and, you know, between the parent and child, right? Of who you are, who you want to be, vice versa, and how that affects one another and what other people see you as. And I think beyond that, you guys, Pim's writing is just incredible. Like, the actual, like, mechanics of the writing, of the way that she approaches how she's structuring these the words, how she's structuring each chapter, and Pim also mm-hmm. does a lot of poetry. So I was just gonna say it's very poetic. It's beautiful. It's so it's so well done. I think, you know, um a lot of what we do in fantasy, a lot of it is steeped in prose. And like, you know, George is a good writer and there's like a lot of strong language here and then, but I don't think any of it is like the same sort of powerhouse in the way that Pim's writing is and every single thing like has has this weight and yeah there's something especially in the the poems that are kind of interlaced throughout it right you don't think of a sci-fi book because it's very science fiction when you think about it in the end right like you wouldn't maybe classify it first it is but i think it's also it's science fiction because you're going back and forth in time and i think those elements are with being coded in that poetry you don't think about it that way. I think it's more so the I do mechanics. think there's a lot of sci-fi there's in There's no, like... Well, oh, no, no, that's true. There is some science that is, like, kind of touched on, but then I think ultimately... I don't know. In my opinion, it feels more fantasy, but I I guess that doesn't really matter. Yeah. I think what's at, what's at the heart of it is it, it's a lot about, you know, intergenerational trauma. Yeah, but I think that's what's something really neat about the way that she's written it is that, yeah. you know, it's interrupted by these poems, interrupted by these moments in time where, you know, if you closed your eyes, you could feel like you're in front of a pond and like a pebble dropping in a pond. You know, all those little waves that it makes when yeah. you drop a stone in a pond. I mean, that's how I felt reading this. I felt that like sereneness and understanding of time and like family and love and loss and all of it. Like you just feel all those things reading it. And that's such a cool feeling when someone writes that way that you can kind of feel those emotions that they want to evoke. And that it's like, those are the emotions that it evoked for me, not for everyone. So when you have a piece like that, that you respond to emotionally, I think that's a job well done. Pim should be really proud of herself. Yeah. And I think we will probably cover the book in more depth later. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, other things regarding this book too. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, there's a Netflix series a coming, so Yeah. I don't know what they're going through. The that production or writing, so Yeah, I imagine it's probably gonna be affected, right? Yeah. By the writer's strike, but I'm not sure where in production they were. I will say, you know, just just to also let you all know about the series, it is being produced by Gemma Chan, whom I believe will also be in it, and you may or may not recognize mm-hmm. Gemma Chan. She's been in series such as Humans, which was a science fiction uh, television series, which was which was really great. And she also is in Crazy Rich Asians, as well as in um, The Eternals. But I didn't, I have not yet seen The Eternals. Yeah. But anyways, so Gemma Chan's going to be in it. Really excited, or producing yeah. it. Yeah, and you know. Even as a story, I would say, for me, and, and this is a favorite, my husband loves this movie, but In the Mood for Love, right, from 2000. Is she in that? Uh, it, it's, no, but it is a beautiful movie oh. with Maggie Chung and Tony Lung in it, and they are wonderful, and it's a production, a co-production between Hong Kong and France, but it's very romantic, very beautiful, has that beautiful, bittersweet vibe, and it's a, it, it's something that, like, it, when I'm sitting here reading this book already and I think about what the show could be like they have an opportunity to do something very beautiful just like that story and I don't know I just think it's really nice I'm really glad that it's a book yeah and that it's gonna be a show what the fuck that's that's so exciting yeah great to see you know southeast asian creators also too because um getting yeah getting work out there yeah 
Yeah, Pim is Thai and Chinese, I believe, yep. right? So that's that's awesome. Fuck yeah, good for Pim. Yeah. Man, all we got are these podcasts, but Pim, Pim's got that solid book. I'm And Eliana's so got like 80 copies of this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm forcing everyone to read it. Even before it came out, I kept telling people, put, put June 6th. Put June 6th on your calendar, all right? My friend's book is coming out. So. Hell yeah. I had the I had my email saying shipped from my pre-order. I was like, yeah. Oh, I did it because, as you know, like I've been going around and I wasn't sure. So I did the electronic copy. But now I also have a hard copper, hardcover copy. Uh. Yeah. I mean, and for those of you that don't know, Eliana lives nowhere and everywhere. Yeah. So you might know where she is. You might not know where she is. You never know. You never do. Yeah. And also, okay, so... I'm I'm sure we're wrapping up soon, but I want to tell everyone, you know, if you haven't, do check out. We joined our friends at Thousand Eyes and One podcast over on YouTube to talk about the Red Wedding. Yeah, we'll link that below. It was a really fun stream, I'm sure. Right now, we're uh, two days before it happens as we record this. (laughs) We're time traveling. Yeah, take that, Pam. But uh, I'm telling you, I have a strong feeling it's going to be good. They are, these ladies at Thousand Eyes and One are, first of all, a blast. Yes. (laughs) If I could ever recommend anyone take you out in New York for a good time or go places with you in New York for a good time, it'd be them. They rock, they kick ass, and they are knowledgeable. They cover some great stories, not just this. And they're doing this awesome thing every Tuesday, 30 Tuesday. So Eliana, be ready. I I don't know what you're going to drink, but 32 ounces of something. I forgot that I had to drink. But they're covering tons of stories during that. So uh, every... Tuesday, they're doing a stream. I think it's uh, once or twice a month they're doing a stream with a show or a movie, uh, talking about a series and having 32 ounces of something that Eliana has to figure out what she'll drink. What are you going to drink? I don't know, dude. Like some wine or something. 32 ounces is a lot. Okay. Yep. I'm going to have to think. What will I consume? Yeah. Well, we'll be talking about the Red Wedding with them. We'll be reliving the massacre. And um, I think it'll be more fun than you'd expect i know that sounds weird but i think we're gonna have fun maybe like a criminal amount of fun which isn't probably normal since our faves are getting killed off but we've watched them get killed off before and talked about it before and also like i always have fun with tanya and nikki so like (laughs) yeah i always have fun with them so whatever happens we had a good time uh if you had fun you won that's how i feel yeah and you know who's not having fun right now? Rob and Catalin. So I think that's going to wrap us up for today's mini-sode <laughs> chatting on summer break. Thanks for joining us and just listening in to what we're listening to and reading and watching these days and where we've been and where we're going. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll be back with Melisandre for July. Thanks and stay tuned. And see you on the next week. Goodbye. And see you on the Bye.